Matthew chapter 4, please. I might just take a minute to mention something as well in our communication system here. Uh, we have a, the ability to send out an email to uh, everybody, and uh, this week we sent one out to remind you about uh, the time change. If you did not get an email from us, very nicely done by uh, Andrew, our technology guru that said email update and had a little note there about uh, the time change. If you didn't get that email and you'd like to get future emails, send an email to Andrew. If you look on the back of your bulletin, his uh, address is there. It's just andrew at ferndalebaptist.com. If you just send him an email and say, put me on the email list, he will get you there. And uh, that's a great way for us to send out uh, communication to those who are connected. And uh, we know that not everybody is. That's why we still send out paper letters as well from time to time. Had my uh, regular six-month dental checkup and cleaning this week. And I'm happy to report to you that I had no cavities and my gums are in excellent condition. Over 20 years ago or so, I went to the dentist for a cleaning, and the hygienist wasn't so pleased with what she saw, and she said, you need to floss your teeth every day. And uh, back then, I used to floss them when they needed it, (laughs) according to my own estimation of when that was. And uh, she said, look, they're your teeth. You can let them fall out of your head if you want. But if you don't want them to fall out of your head, you need to floss your teeth every day. (laughs) And uh, I got the message and uh, started flossing my teeth every day. And uh, and I'm glad that I did because I have a hard enough time with my teeth as it is. She motivated me to action. Last week, we looked at part of 2 Timothy chapter 4, which was highly motivational. Verse 1, when Paul said, Timothy, I'm going to tell you something now, and the environment in which I want to communicate it to you is this. Someday you will stand before Christ and be evaluated for your life. And someday everybody on this planet who doesn't get right with Christ will stand before him and be evaluated for their life, and the consequences will be eternal. And he said, in that environment, I want to tell you something. And what I want to tell you is preach the word, share God's word. And so what we saw last week was highly motivational. We need to be busy about God's work because God is going to call us to account by the word. It will be the standard of judgment. This week, as we proceed in the passage a little bit, he's going to move from being motivational to being instructional. In other words, here's how you need to carry out the ministry of the word. Please follow as I read 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As we move into verse 2, we want to understand this truth uh, first and foremost. We need to speak God's word according to his purposes. He says, preach the word, and then he gives a series of instructions to go with preaching the word. But we need to understand more than anything that God has an intention and a power connected to his word. From Isaiah 55, we read, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but they water the earth, and they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from, forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What does God intend for his word to do? He has an intention for his word. I love craftsman hand tools. Because I'm kind of a duffer and I tend to mess them up once in a while. And I love to be able to take the tool back and say, I've messed this up. Would you give me a new one? A few years ago, a mechanic told me, I had a problem. I had a, a lug nut on a wheel that had gotten rounded off, and I needed to get the wheel off to do some service on the car. And I asked my best mechanic friend, and he said, here's what you do. Get yourself a craftsman socket that's just a little bigger than that wrench and get you a big hammer and drive that dude onto that nut. Stick your wrench in there, get the thing off, then punch the nut out and take that socket back to the sear store and get a new one because it'll be all messed up when you get done. That is not what sockets are for. That is, not, that is not the way you're supposed to use them. But that's what some people do with God's word. They say, oh, here's something that sounds nice. I think I'll take it and mash it in here and make it do what I want it to do. What does God intend for his word to do? The first thing that God intends for his word to do is this. God intends for his word to convict people of right and wrong. Verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Convince is the word in the New King James. The, word, the King James word is reprove. The NIV uses the word correct. The root word here means to appraise the value means to assign a value to something. In other words, when, when we speak God's word the way it's intended, God puts a value on people's behaviors. I was watching in one of those uh, antique auction shows this week, and uh, a lady brought a box in, and a wooden chest, and it was from the 1700s. So, boy, to me, that makes it pretty valuable to begin with. And she brings this box in, and and the fellow says, so what do you think it's going to bring at auction? And she said, well, uh, you know, $75,000. And he, go, he chokes. And he said, well, I'm probably not quite that much. So he brought an appraiser in, somebody who would assign the value. And the appraiser said, it's probably worth $1,500. And it sold at auction at 
$1,400. So the appraiser was about right. The lady assigned a value to her box way high, the appraiser much more realistically. God's word assigns value to behavior, right or wrong. When we speak it the way it's intended to be spoken, plainly and simply, it says what is right, it says what is wrong. From John 16, we read this. When Jesus was on the earth and he was getting close to the time of leaving, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict, there's our word, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. God takes his word as we speak it, and the Holy Spirit brings it home to people in such a way that it says, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Our job today as Christians is as simple and as hard as saying that right and wrong exists according to God's standard. But God goes one step further than that. He also intends for his word to hold people responsible for their sin. Look at the second word in this list. He says, preach the word in season and out, convince rebuke the word rebuke we don't use a lot perhaps in our modern english um, but it essentially means to tell people they are guilty or they are responsible to personalize the truth if you will in case you hadn't noticed it isn't real popular to declare absolutes in regard to right and wrong everybody agrees that there is evil in the world. Pretty much everybody will say, oh yes, there's evil in the world, there is good and there is wrong. And yet when you point your finger and say, this is wrong, becomes really unpopular. God intends for his word to hold people responsible. Listen to the, the use of these words in an interesting passage in Titus. Paul is writing to Titus and saying, look, there are people that are teaching falsehood. They're teaching false doctrine. And he says about those people, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, people that are from Crete, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. When God's testimony speaks truly about people's condition we ought to be willing to personalize it one of the hardest things there is for us to do to say no your behavior is wrong it's wrong but god intends further than that it's not just about what's right and wrong it's not just about personalizing it but god also intends for his word to encourage people in the process of becoming like Christ. Look at that third word. Convince, rebuke, exhort. The word exhort is actually the same word that is a name of the Holy Spirit, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. 
think I left part of that verse off when I had it copied on. Maybe it should say John 14:26 there. The helper, the Holy Spirit is called the helper or the exhorter, we could call him that. It literally means one called alongside to help. And so what that means to us in declaring the word of God is we're not supposed to just hit people over the head with the Bible and say you're a sinner, but we're supposed to say can I help you grow in Christ? The, the goal of God's word to God is to bring glory to himself by enabling mankind to come into right relationship with him. The word of God is not a club to beat people with, neither is it a pillow on which to make them feel comfortable. Rather, it's a prescription for the cure of their soul. What's going to be required of the Christian who handles God's word according to God's purposes? God intends for his word to be the power which enables people to become like Christ. Look at the the next phrase in this list. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. God says that we must share the word with patience and teaching. The word long-suffering or patience, those those are synonyms. And it's often translated endurance. Change will not come in people simply because we point out what is wrong. We must patiently help them come to the truth. Listen to, uh, listen to what Paul said. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The idea of patience and teaching together is the idea of of working at teaching God's word, working at it, working at it, working at it, not getting exasperated with people and not being in a hurry for them to learn. What must it have been like for Jesus to teach the apostles? How fast did they learn compared to how fast he could teach? And and the idea of teaching and of patience is... Is, this, is the idea of I'm going to speak God's word and let it change you, not my fancy words. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Good teaching brings the various parts of God's word together into a cohesive whole so people can grasp the truth. God's truth is a logical system, and we should present it that way, but we don't need to use proofs that are outside of God's Word. My experience cannot prove the Word. It can demonstrate the Word, but not prove it. I should not believe the Word primarily because it works. I must believe the Word because it is God's Word, and I must teach it that way. God wants His Word to be the power which changes people, not some method that we have, not some personal pressure we apply, but His Word. We need to speak God's Word according to His purposes. 
And then we need to speak God's word even though there will be opposition. Look at the next verse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fable. The key phrase here about false doctrine is the one, their own desires. If you wanted to ask the question, where does false doctrine come from? It comes from human desires. According to 2 Peter 2.18, sometimes the appeal of false doctrine is to, to our fleshly desires, that is, to, to the pleasures of the flesh, to, uh, to the prestige we can, we can gather as a human being, or to possessions we can, we can get. Sometimes it's that kind of desire. According to Colossians 2.18, sometimes the appeal of false doctrine is to our human way of thinking. We can understand things humanly and we can, we can uh, figure things out. According to the book of Galatians, sometimes the appeal of false doctrine is to human pride and the attempt to earn God's favor by religion. When we think we know what we need, we need to be extremely careful. Who was the first person who thought she knew what she needed better than God? That was Eve. And how'd that work out for her? That's why in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why we've got to be people of the book, not people of our feelings. No matter what the appeal of false doctrine, the impact is all, is all the same. Look at the impact here. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will heap up teachers, and verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fable. We have a phrase in modern American English, pushback. There's a pushback. When we teach God's truth, there's a pushback from those who don't believe God's truth. They push back against it. No, I don't like that. I don't like what you're saying. I don't care for it. And the pushback comes in a variety of ways. The thing that we've got to understand is there will be a pushback. It's not if, but when. If you're going to live by the word and encourage others to do the same, there will be a pushback. And you have to decide with Timothy, are you going to go forward or not? Uh, I didn't play football in high school because my parents were afraid I'd get hurt. They didn't want my, you know, I was, I was six foot one as a freshman in high school, and they were afraid I was so delicate that I would be bummed up. And, you know, of course that's true. I, I might have gotten bummed up, so they, they protected me from that. But, you know, the longer I've watched football... I'm kind of glad I didn't play. Because I'm just not that excited about running down the field and running right into somebody else coming the other direction. I, you know, I understand the appeal, uh, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> Paul said, Timothy... 
as you run down the field of Christianity, there will be somebody running the other direction. And you've got to decide that you're going to preach the word the way God wanted it preached. You're going to share God's truth and let him take care of the results. The third thing that that we understand here about carrying out the ministry of the word is this. We need to carry out the ministry of the word that God has entrusted to us. Now, obviously, as we study 1 and 2 Timothy, we understand that Timothy was a pastor. And Paul was the guy who mentored Timothy and uh, encouraged him into the ministry. And as an apostle... He exerted some influence over Timothy. And uh, here he's giving final instruction to Timothy. And obviously there is a primary application of this truth to pastors. And as I think about preaching God's word, this passage needs to inform me. But there's also an application to all Christians because we are all commanded to share God's truth in whatever way we can. We, know, we need to understand that each of us has a different gift. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. The point that I'm going to come to, that Paul comes to here, is this. What, I have to carry out God's word and the ministry of the word in, in, in a way that God has called me to it, and you have to do it in the way God has called or gifted you to do so. We all are given the responsibility of carrying the word, but there will be some uniqueness. But these instructions that come to us in verse 5 are principles that have to affect us all. But you, instead of being blown over by the opposition that he mentions in verse 3 and 4, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. No matter who you are in Christ, your attempts to carry out the ministry of Christ through the word of God will encounter opposition. And so each of us needs to have a commitment to carrying out God's ministry, even though we will do it in slightly different ways. So how does God intend for us to carry out the ministry of the word? First of all, he intends us to carry it out with vigilance. He says, be watchful in all things. The word watchful literally means to be sober. It's a word that, you know, if they were talking about a guy being drunk or sober, this is the word they would have used, to be sober, to be free of intoxicants. And as it was used in this kind of a, this kind of a sentence, it would mean something like be alert, to be alert, to be watchful, to keep your head like an airline pilot. You remember... That airplane that landed in the Hudson River, Sully Sullenberger was the captain. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it's like a bad joke. One engine goes out, and then the other engine goes out, and he's going to have to do something. The question is, did he keep his head? Was he alert? Was he watchful in all things? Or was he twiddling his thumbs? No, he was alert, he was ready, and he did, humanly speaking, a miraculous thing. Opposition is going to come to us as Christians. In response to it, we have to be watchful, to be alert, to be ready. 
to be clear-headed as we live in this sinful world. The only way we can do that is by being people of the Word, growing in the Word. And that's the whole point of this passage. We've got to be vigilant. And then we've got to be set to endure. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Earlier in this book, Paul said, Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What do you call a man who joins the army infantry and today and then is surprised that he ends up in Afghanistan? What do you call him? Stupid? Okay, we want to be nice to our soldiers, you know, I don't want to call them stupid. But obviously we'd say, look, there's a war going on and we have people deployed and you have joined the infantry. What couldn't you figure out here? That's what Paul says, Timothy, look, you're in a spiritual war. You should expect that there will be difficulties and you need to prepare yourself to endure afflictions. Look at this verse from Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes, and he says, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Do you know what that means? That sometime after 2 Timothy was written and before Hebrews, Timothy went to jail for the Lord, just like Paul did. Paul was preparing Timothy Paul knew good and well that there was a real opportunity for him to go to jail too. He says, buddy, you've got to get your mind right, get your heart right, because you're going to have to endure some difficulties. Right now, in our country, Christians are not going to jail for their faith, by and large. But there are hardships if you're going to cling to God's pure truth. And God's challenge to us is to say, are we ready for that? Are we set to endure affliction? If we're going to carry out God's ministry the way he wants it carried out, we've got to be ready to endure difficulty. The third way that, that, that we have got to carry out God's ministry is with advancement. Look there when he says, do the work of an evangelist. It's relatively safe here within these four walls to declare God's truth. Over my 32 years of ministry... I've had one or two people walk out. I've had a couple of angry stares. I've had some, some unhappy words after church about some topics. Um, I think I can say pretty safely I was always clearly teaching God's word. And so there was, you know, a little bit of opposition there, but that's nothing like going to jail. That's nothing like the, uh, the two pastors that we know of in a country that I won't mention because this, this will go on the internet, who are in jail right now under condemnation of hanging because of preaching God's truth and of being converts to Christianity. And so it's, there's always a temptation to speak God's word here in this safe environment, and it is a safe environment, and it should be. But he says, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist doesn't do his primary work here. He does his primary work out there. And when we go out and share God's truth, we put ourselves out on the edge of potential difficulty. Listen to what Paul said 
when he gathered the, the Ephesian elders and uh, gave them a little a pep talk before he moved on, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know that from the first day I came to Asia, that's before there was ever a church there in Ephesus, so he just came in cold. From the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, you know that when I was with you, I plainly declared God's truth. And now I am going bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. The Apostle Paul said, now I am under the constraint of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And he fully expected that he would get arrested for doing God's work there, and he did. And he ended up in Rome and and so on. The Apostle Paul said, I spoke God's word even though it was costly. It was expensive in terms of persecution. The last word in this list, uh, the last phrase I've termed with commitment, how does God want us to carry out his ministry? Look at verse 5. The last phrase says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that God saves for the purpose of good works. Well, that's my, that was actually my summary. I put the wrong thing on the screen there. Ephesians 2.10 says, For you were saved unto good works. God saved us for the purpose of serving him. We are called to salvation and called to ministry all in one. When I finally put my life at God's disposal at age 19, and I realized the ministry he had for me was to be a pastor, I began to serve in whatever way I could, and there were various opportunities given to me. And then, at a certain point, the Lord called me to be a full-time pastor, and I've been doing that for 32 years. But my ministry is not fulfilled. It won't be fulfilled until I'm with the Lord. I am doing God's work. I have done God's work. I'm going to try to keep on doing God's work until I see Him. Fulfill your ministry. God has called each of us to serve Him according to the way that he's gifted us. And we have to ask ourselves, is it my goal to carry out that ministry, to fulfill it, to complete it, to carry it out day by day by day as I walk toward my appointment with Christ, whether that be a few days or a lot of days down the road? It's way easier to start something than to follow through But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul was saying, Timothy, don't turn back. Don't don't be moving along and then go, oh, that would be easier. 
said, don't do that. Keep moving forward. Fulfill the ministry that God has called you to do. One of my granddaughters was on TV this week. Did you see her? Yeah. Molly, our daughter that lives in Ephrata, got enough of her friends to vote for her on Facebook or something so that she won a contest. She got the most votes, an evening magazine filmed in her house. And uh, so, you know, there they were, the whole family. But my favorite granddaughter is here. You know why? Because when I see her and I go like this, she goes like this. And we have a little warm moment. That happens almost every time I see her, not every time. That's what grandkids are about. Just in case you didn't know, that's what they're about, okay? And then we put them down and we go on about our business. I suspect that most people who get into parenting think that's what parenting is about. Oh boy, I'm going to have a little darling and they're going to walk up and hug me and love me and oh, it's going to be good. And they have a few of those moments. But there's a whole lot of work that goes along with the whole parenting thing, too. The ministry of God is a wonderful thing. And when it changes somebody's life, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like sitting with somebody at the end of their life who is trusting God and... and preparing themselves to meet Christ. And and I'm telling you, it is a warm, sweet, encouraging time for me to be there with them. And, And when I think of the ministry, I think, that's what we're doing. We're getting people ready for that. And it's a wonderful thing. But there's a lot of other times back here that are a little less wonderful. And some of it comes from outside, from the opposition. And we need to say, am I going to carry out my ministry? Because it is a wonderful, wonderful thing, even though it's a challenging thing. We are involved in the greatest work on earth, but it is work, and it's worth the effort. Heavenly Father, help us. We like some parts of Christianity very much. But there are some parts of it that are just really hard. And I pray that you would help us to fulfill our ministry and to carry your word the way you want it carried until we see Jesus. Help us to do that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.